Um, Pastor asked me to, he'd been preaching on the blessing, and so he says, well, let's just keep the flow going, so I want you to preach on the curse. So, (laughs) I said, the curse, and I've got, you know, one Sunday morning to preach on the curse. Do you know how vast that subject is? How do you do that? I don't even know where to begin. But we're going to begin, and I see that the Lord has multiplied my time. I guess my biggest stressor about this message was how much time I was going to have to fit it all in. But everybody ate a good breakfast this morning, so everybody's ready to get in the Word. Amen? This is for your benefit. So let's go. Amen? How to be freed from the curse. Amen. Well, first of all, the curse is so vast, and there's so many categories, but I want to touch just a little bit on... The curses that descend on us from past generations, which we call generational curses. Now, uh, I like the way Robert Heidler put it. He said that his ancestors had come from Germany to the U.S. and that they could have easily gone to Russia. He says, but every day he lives with the consequences of their decision. And whatever our ancestors did, committed sin or the decisions that they made, today we live with the consequences of their decisions. And a lot of times, well, at one time, we were in them. We were not yet born. So everything that they did passed on to us. And you see that whenever you go to the doctor's office and he asks you, uh, your family history, doesn't he? He says, okay, is there diabetes, is there cancer, is there heart disease in your family? And uh, because you are more apt to get those things according to the natural way of looking at things because that's how those generational curses pass. And what I see is as it passes to the next generation, it seems to pick up some kind of strength. And the next generation suffers just a little bit more than the last generation. But how many of you know we're fixing to cut him short in Jesus' name? And the best way is to recognize that this is sometimes no fault of our own. And we're going through cycles and we're doing everything that we know to get our life to work. And our life has not been working for us like we think it should be working. We're a Christian. We pay tithe. We love God. We read the Word. And why is it, Sister Cindy, that I still can't get this thing to work for me? Well, maybe you are falling under a curse. And it may not be your own fault. Now, there's another type of curse that comes on us through our own fault. And it might be your fault. It might not be, but it might be your fault. But whatever the case is, we're going to learn to break some curses. And I just... uh, Uh, want to go over some of them real quick. Now, the list goes on. I'm just going to give you eight points real quick. How do we know if someone is cursed? Number one, mental or emotional breakdowns with chronic depression. Now, you hear so much about bipolar and manic depression nowadays. A spirit of heaviness, fear, despair, doubt. And if you want to jot down Deuteronomy 28, 28, it talks about madness, panic, and astonishment of heart. And if any of your family members or if you've gone through that, that is part of falling under the curse. Number two, repeated or chronic sickness, especially if the physicians can find no adequate cause or cure. Now, I hear about that sometimes, <clears throat> that the, the doctors do all kinds of tests and you know you're in pain. And yet they can't find any cause for it. Just weird types of sickness. You know, maybe 
they had uh, this disease and there's only four other in the whole United States. Well, I would say that's a curse. Number three, breakdown in relationships, family or marriages. You see that the parents get a divorce, the children get a divorce, and that cycle just goes from one generation to the next. But not only in divorce, you get a breakdown in relationships. Maybe you lose your best friend or maybe, uh, you know, just you don't talk to your brother for years, that kind of breakdown in relationships. And you see this example in the Bible of, David and Saul, and David loved Saul as a father, and there was a breakdown in that relationship. Number four, financial insufficiency. When a person's salary or education indicates that they should be financially sound, yet they never seem to be able to pay their bills. There's so much that ties into that. It could be unwise use of their money. It could be car trouble, doctor bills, uh, appliances breaking down. There's always something happening, and you never quite have enough money to live life uh, in peace. Accident prone. Now, how many of you remember the movie with Martin Shark called Pure Luck? And it's hilarious. And if anything bad was going to happen, it was going to happen to this poor little guy. And I hear people say, well, uh, the only luck I have is bad luck. We need to quit saying that because that's a curse. If you only have bad luck, that's a curse. And I know, I know brother, uh, Terry doesn't fall under that because he's the one that wins the, the automobiles and you name it. He, he's, he's been free from, from that curse. Okay. Family history of unnatural and untimely deaths. Occult witchcraft involvement by family members or ancestors. I've noticed a, a, a tremendous spirit of fear and phobias connected to the people that dabble into witchcraft and the occult. <clears throat> Sexual sins or any addictive personalities. Your addictive personalities, personalities are like gambling, smoking, drinking, drugs, uh, overeating, uh, anything that pornography is an addictive personality. And you repent and you cry out to God and you can't seem to shake that thing. It's because it's a curse and that curse needs to be broken. Amen? All right. Because this blocks God's blessings and the curse forms that barrier that needs to get broken so that God's blessings begin to flow again. You'll see sometimes multiple disasters and sickness will target a family. And so when we recognize these things, we can deal with it. If we don't see it, we can't deal with it. And a lot of us are just living with it and putting up with it. And it's time to put it into it. Amen? All right. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. James 3, 8 through 10. It says this, But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now I want to talk to you about you know, we're talking about generational curses and things that we've done that has caused a curse to come into our life. But we also have to be so careful about how we curse one another. 
because your 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 tongue, your words carry so much significance and so much power that whenever you have a heartfelt issue against somebody else, you actually put a curse on that person. And um, the Bible says these things ought not to be so. It does not say that it's not so. I've heard people say, well, I'm blessed and I can't be cursed. It doesn't say that it's not so. It says it ought not be so. So that tells us that it can happen. And so we've got to be so careful about how quick we are to judge, to give an opinion, to slander, to gossip, and to say all kinds of ugly things about one another. It ought not to be so. And Pastor talked a little bit about the blessing, and I've got another little definition of the blessing. I'm just going to touch it real quick because I really liked it. To bless means to speak well of, express good wishes, to see a person's life improve, increase, and develop positively. See, when we bless a person, we fill that person up with good things, heaping God's goodness on them. So then when we say, God bless you to one another, what we're saying is may God's goodness just be piled and heaped up on you. That's what ought to be in the church. Amen. It says that Jesus, he blessed the loaves and the fishes. And what happened? They multiplied. They increased. And that's what we want to see in your life. We want to see increase. We want to see things go good for you. Amen. Now, who and what we attract with our tongue depends on the condition of our heart. You know, whatever's in your heart, that's going to determine the kind of people you hang with. So you've got to be careful. If you examine the people that you're hanging with, examine your heart and see if there's any likeness. So if our heart is right, then our words are going to be right. But if our heart is evil, our words are going to be evil. A blessing is a totally unselfish thing. See, a lot of times we get jealous. Somebody gets a new car, and we've been wanting a new car. We don't want to bless them. We wanted that blessing. But a blessing is something unselfish. Amen? Now, let's hear what the curse is. The curse, and let's see if anybody has done this. I'm guilty. Is anybody else guilty? We've all said nasty things that we shouldn't say, that we need to repent of, right? Because we're human. But God, rich in his mercy, forgives us quickly if we'll just bring it to him. The curse in the Old Testament meant to bind with a spell, to hem in with obstacles, and to render powerless to resist. My goodness. Now, it means to wish anyone evil or ruin, to wish harm or catastrophe. Can you imagine that us as Christians would be capable of wishing this on someone else? But sometimes we get so angry at the things that they've done to us that we just say, well, I just wish he would get fired. Or I wish he'd get hit by a car. (laughs) Whatever we say, those ugly things we say that we wish harm. Do you know what we're wishing when we speak evil of another? The intentions of a curse is regressive in nature because the curse is opposite from the blessing. So it brings about a backward motion. Remember, the blessing is increase. The curse causes one to go into a backward motion and regress. 
And it means to deteriorate, to decrease, to develop that which is negative in a person's life. Now, uh, you've seen cancer patients, how they dwindle down to nothing. They regress, they deteriorate till they're just 60 pounds, 80 pounds. I mean, it's a terrible thing. That, wouldn't you say that's a curse? That's a curse. And they haven't been able to find really the definite cause or the cure. That's a curse. We need to attack that curse. Amen? Thank God we've seen many uh, cancer uh, patients healed. Hallelujah. It means when we curse a person, we effectively empty, drain, and exhaust all that is good from that person's life. Can you imagine this in the church? I can't imagine us wanting this because our feelings have gotten hurt. We release wrong intentions and we dislodge the blessing from that person's life. Cody had four of his wisdom teeth pulled here lately And that night, I guess he swallowed too much blood and he threw up. And the little blood clots that form over those sockets dislodged. And the bone was exposed. That's called dry socket. And that bone was very painful. Anytime food or anything would touch that would hurt. So whenever we curse with our mouth, we dislodge the protection and the blessing. And we cause pain on that person. But the sad part about it is when we do this, we get the backlash of it and usually we get a worse degree come back on us than what we have projected on someone else. And I want to protect you this morning. Amen? Uh, Our job as pastors is to protect the sheep. And so we're preaching this so that if you quit doing this, you quit getting some of this backlash that the enemy keeps coming back because he has a right to because you gave him permission to. Amen? In cursing, both the mind and the heart cooperate in the process because we want them to suffer more or greater than the offense that they did to us. That's why we are not to judge because our judgment would never be just. Because whenever we judge, we step out of righteousness because we are not made to judge rightly. Only God has the power to judge rightly. We will always condemn them to a worse degree than the offense. Amen? So avenging is God's business, wouldn't you say? In Romans 12, if you flip to Romans 12, verse 19... Romans 12, verse 19, and it says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves or take revenge, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance or punishment is mine and I will repay, saith the Lord. So see, you don't take things into your own hand when you've been wronged. You let God take care of those people. In verse uh, 14, it says this, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Ooh, that's hard sometimes to bless those that persecute you. But when you bless, you heap God's goodness on them. Let's hope that they will respond to the goodness of God and change. You know, it's the, the goodness of God brings man to repentance. Amen? And that's what we want. Uh, So a curse is a selfish thing. 
And it feeds the soul, giving it a false spiritual status. In 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. And I think that every time that we read this, we could write a different message. But my topic today is on the curse. So I'm going to read David and Goliath and find the curse uh, in this passage of Scripture. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 and 35, it says this, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and I smote him, meaning I wounded him, and I delivered it, the lamb, out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard. That means I held on to him and I brought him down and I smote him and I slew him or I beat him to death. Wow. David saw the lion and the bear as a curse that had come to steal from him, to take his blessing and to cause him financial ruin. Now, the curse acts just like a lion and a bear. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, how the the curse is beastie, how the curse roars at you and instills fear in you how the curse rips up and tears into your emotions it tears into your finances it destroys homes it wounds it pursues you like prey and when it grabs a tight hold you have to fight hard to get the grip of the curse off of you the curse acts like a lion and acts like a bear and so I looked this up in my uh, dream interpretation book on symbols. And under lion, it meant religious tradition and religious spirit, which that is handed down sometimes as a generational curse, that spirit of pride where they close their ears to the truth because they want to hold on to what they've always been taught. And they're not open to a new move of God. They like to stay with the old, that old religious spirit. Now, it also means, uh, well, that religious spirit means outwardly they look one way, but inwardly they're acting another way. It also means a destroying spirit to spoil you and to devour you of your blessings. The lion was a symbol of might. Peter calls the devil a destroying lion. The lion was used as executioners in Daniel's day. And the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in the old arenas, it used to be the Christians versus the lions. And now it has become the Christians versus the Christians. Now the bear. The bear is also a symbol of the curse. It is destruction, an evil curse, inherited curse or a personal sin, financial loss or hardship. Isn't that amazing that that's exactly what happened to David and that's exactly what these symbols mean? I saw on the news just the other day there was a bear that was dragging a live moose. Do you know how much a moose weighs? Do you know how strong a bear is? That's how the curse acts. It acts strong against you. 
It will drag you through the mud. It will drag you through the briars. It will not let go even though you're kicking and screaming the whole way. It gets a firm grip. Last night as I was watching uh, the call from Washington, D.C., uh, Lou Engle showed a clip. I don't know how many of you watched that. And on this clip, uh, this guy said, said, as goes California, so goes the nation. And he was talking about the, the gay rights and the gay marriages. And uh, they came against that, and they were breaking curses that had been leashed out against our nation. And then they saw, they, they showed a clip of the flag. And on the flag, it said, the California Republic, and it was a bear. I don't know if anybody caught that last night. I thought, oh, I got, I got another example for my message. And how, how California has been so cursed. You know, that was the first place the satanic movement started. And they are under such an extreme amount of immorality, and you name it. And those curses have to be broken. In 2 Timothy 4.17, you don't have to turn there, but it talked about Paul and Alexander the coppersmith. He said, did me much evil. This was someone in the church. And how Satan had tried to silence Paul, but the last part of that verse said, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That means I was delivered from all those evil deeds and intentions that were against me. And the word delivered means to rescue, to draw with force and violence, to drag, pull, to draw out of danger or calamity and to liberate. Isn't that exactly what David did? He saw the curse coming after his finances and he ran and he took authority over it and rescued the lamb out of his mouth. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He saw that we had no way out, that we were cursed and we were hemmed in, that we had no spiritual rights because we were Gentiles. And he came and he shed his blood and dragged by violence. That was a violent death that he experienced but he freed us and liberated us by his blood. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. If you'll hold your place here, flip over to Hosea. We're going to come back to uh, David and Goliath. We haven't finished that. But in Hosea chapter 6, praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Now, if you've never read Deuteronomy 28 and read it slowly and observed the blessings and the curses, I do this every now and then to see how my life is going, how much of the curse and how much of the blessings I'm actually living in. It's like a, a symptometer, I like to call it. My symptometer. There's the symptoms right there. And I like to measure that and see how my life is going. In verse 1 it says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn because of the curse. The curse has torn like a lion. I'm adding, ad libbing here. And he will heal us. How will he heal us if we return? He has smitten or wounded and he will bind us up. Now, after two days, 
He will revive us. In other words, after he, we have returned to the Lord, he has bound up our wounds. We got two days of recovery. And then on the third day, it says he will raise us up and we will live. We will be alive in his sight. Some of us are living like we're dead on the inside and he wants to raise you up. It says, and then shall we know if we follow to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. Do you know the morning is a set thing that comes every morning? It's here. Something that he has set in motion. It says his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain. We sing that song. He'll come like the rain. We sing that over and over. He'll come like the rain. Here's our scripture that they wrote that song after. He'll come like the rain as the latter and the former rain in the earth. That's how he's going to come. He's going to heal us and fix all these broken parts of our life. Amen? In chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says this. For I will be unto Ephraim, because Ephraim had did something disobedient and had allowed the curse to come into his life, as a lion and a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place. See, that's what the curse does. It comes, it tears, it takes away. It comes, it tears, it takes away. It comes, it tears, it takes away. It goes back to its place. But it says, until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face, in their affliction they will seek me early. How do you break the curse? You've got to acknowledge your offenses and your ancestors' offenses. I, I, I talked to my family and asked them, you know, uh, was anybody in the occult? Did anybody have an abortion? Did anybody commit adultery? I try to get as much history on my family as I can so that I can break those curses because I don't want that passing on into my life. And I have broken some things that I've recognized, but we've got to acknowledge it so that we can break this cycle. In Lamentations, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Lamentations 3, 8 and 11, if you want to jot that down. Also, when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. Have you ever felt like God doesn't hear your prayer? He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. The crooked paths speak of these wrong choices that maybe we've made in our life and made a mess of our life. And the hewn stone is like we're walled in. And we've, we've sent out our resume and we've done job interviews and nobody calls us back. What is it to break that cycle? Why can't I get my breakthrough? It says, He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He had made me desolate. If you've ever felt that, you're experiencing some of the results of the curse. And in Amos, you know we like to give a lot of scriptures. Amen? Praise the Lord. I did not realize until I wrote this message how many scriptures on lions and bears together there was. I was, I was shocked. Okay, in Amos chapter 5, verse 19... Now, this is the most perfect example of a curse that I've ever read. Amos 5, 19. 
It's as if a man did flee from a lion. So this man's running away from the lion. And a bear met him. Poor guy. Or he went into the house. Oh, thank God, I'm home. I'm safe. And he leaned his hand on a wall and a serpent bit him. Because you can't escape the curse. It follows you everywhere you go. It meets up with you. You cannot escape it, no matter how safe. Now, in my life, I had that curse of accident prone. And uh, we laugh about it. But it's not funny because it hurts. And I got tired of that. We were in a house in Argentina that we had rented. And <clears throat> we were leaving that house. So we washed the outside of the house. And we were cleaning up on the inside. And some water got in the light switch right by the front door. And so Pastor took the light switch cover off to let air get in there and dry it out. And so I was upstairs and I hear him holler, Cindy, I've taken this light cover off. Don't touch these live wires. And I screamed from upstairs. I said, now really, do you think I'm going to touch live wires? Come on, give me a break. So I had mopped the floor and everything, and I was getting ready to go outside, and I'm slipping my shoes on. And when I slipped my shoes on, I braced myself on what? The live wires. And I screamed, and he said, you touched it, didn't you? And I was like, ooh. So no matter how careful you are, it finds you. We uh, had the last ladies' mentor meeting. I brought this big old bread knife. It was down in my briefcase. And I was digging in that briefcase trying to get something out, and my hand just slid right across the blade of that knife, and I could feel it. And I said, no, in Jesus' name, I have broken that curse. And when I pulled out my hand, there was not a scratch, no blood. I was in shock. I was like, Jesus, hallelujah, I've got the victory over this crazy thing. But it's no fun to be a victim, I tell you. And the devil makes a victim out of us many times, and then he makes us a laughing stock. And that's no fun either. So flip back to 1 Samuel 17. Verse 36. We're on verse 36. Let's see what it says. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. I read that in the Spanish translation, and I liked it because it said, whether it was a lion or whether it was a bear, I killed both. And I like that. It doesn't matter whether it's a lion or whether it's a bear. It doesn't matter. Because, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Man, he persuaded Saul with his testimony. And you've got to persuade the devil by your testimony. Amen? So he says, uh, He was delivered from the paw. And I thought, You know, it doesn't say, but I wonder if David got a few scratches from the battle with the lion and the bear. Hmm? And sometimes it's a lot of work to stay free. It's a lot of spiritual warfare. And you might get a few scratches. 
But the fight is worth it. You've got to fight for your freedom. In verse 43, it says, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest unto me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Whoa. I want to give you a little briefing on the Philistine. This Philistine was uncircumcised, which associated him with all moral and spiritual uncleanliness. Mizraim was the second son of Ham. Ham was the son of Noah, and Ham did something very naughty, and it caused a curse to come on his generation. We're not going to preach on that today. But Mizraim was his second son, and he was the father of the Kaslushites. And from the Kaslushites came the Philistines. That reference is in Genesis 10:13. if you want to look at that later. Now, they were the giant race. And from that, they came from the Nephilim. The Nephilim was fallen angels that had intercourse with the daughters of men, and their name actually means fallen ones. They were monsters of a mixed human angelic birth. They were exceedingly wicked and violent in actions, and their imaginations were evil. So that's how this giant race came about. So when David saw the Philistine, he saw the curse. They were actually cursed. And he's cursing David by his gods. Now, the Philistines worshipped Dagon. That was, uh, that was one of their gods. But in 44, let's see what happens. Verse 44, And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. So he utters this curse to David, and it reminds David of Deuteronomy 28. And I'm going to flip there. If you want to flip there, you can. Deuteronomy 28 in verse 26 Look at what this says. And thy carcass, now this is the part of the curse. And thy carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth, the lion and the bear, and no man shall frighten them away. Hmm. So David says within himself, I am in covenant blessing. And when I begin to worship God, this supernatural Power comes on me, and I do things I can't do in the natural. And this guy is a curse. He is the curse. He has no covenant with God. I'm under the blessing. So David begins to reverse that curse. Amen? Let's see in verse 45 and 46 it says, Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied this day. Will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand? And I will smite thee, wound him, and I will take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beast, the lion and the bear of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So what this is saying is it is on. 
Hallelujah. It is on. And it's no longer the Israelites versus the Philistines. Because you have called on the power of your God, and I've called on the power of my God. So now it's Jehovah versus Dagon. And that's how you've got to look at the curse. It's Jesus versus your curse. Who can stand before the Lord? But you've got to believe that in your heart. So David says, this is another paraphrase I I wrote. I have a lion skin. I have a bear skin. And I think today I'm going to have your head. That's exactly what he did. He kept the head. I would have liked to have seen David's living room. I bought Pastor uh, Bearskin from Michigan. I love skins. And so, man, David, he can, he can decorate. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some trophies. In verse 51, it says this. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now, I just have to flip back to Deuteronomy 28 because since David was under the blessing, let's see what it says in verse 7, under the blessing. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face, and they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. And the Philistines scattered. And there was a great victory that day. But that was not the end of David having to battle the curse. The curse would come back in different ways. So just because we get the victory one day does not mean the devil's going to quit on you. You got to keep your warfare going. In Psalm 7 verse 2 it says this, "Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver." And David penned this psalm when he was defending himself from the accusations of a man named Cush and while he was being hunted by Saul. There was 21 attempts that Saul made to kill David and he never killed him. But there was 21 attempts on his life and that was the curse of broken relationship. There was tears in his soul. You've had tears in your soul that need to be mended. You know, our soul, everybody talks about it being the mind, will, and the emotions. But if there's a tear in our emotions where our wounds are, the Lord wants to heal us of those things. Amen? Okay, flip with me. I'm fixing to close. Genesis 4. Have you gotten anything so far? Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. And this talks about Cain, poor Cain, if he'd have just listened to the voice of the Lord. Genesis 4, 7 says, If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And I like what this word accepted means. It means, won't you have dignity? And see, what happens is when we allow the curse in our life, we lose our dignity. It's hard to live without dignity, people. It's hard to live in shame. It says, And if thou doest well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 
because that word lying means it crouches down to rest and sit and lie down is just waiting. Sin is always waiting. And that desire means personified sin as being like a crouching animal ready to pounce on Cain. Sin is like a crouching animal because sin is what opens the door to the curse. And it will crouch down and wait for you. And God was in his mercy trying to stop Cain. Because once the sin was committed, the curse was put on him. And the sin hadn't been committed yet. And God's just trying to stop him. God's trying to prevent this thing from happening in his life and bringing him down to ruin. In Job chapter 4, Job 4, verse 10 through 11, it says, The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth. And teeth is a symbol of danger. You see a dog that's mad at you, what do they do? They show their teeth. That's symbolic of danger. And the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perished for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. Because he has given us power to break the teeth of the curse so that it looses its grip. And repented sin causes the, the curse to starve. And its offspring that would want to multiply generation after generation wanders away from us and it does not repeat in our children. In the message translation, it said, when he's toothless, he's useless. No teeth, no prey. And God has the power to break the teeth of the enemy. Amen? So I want to go over a couple of steps, just a few steps here real quick in closing. Um, Curses have roots and points of origin. They have an entry. And so when we find the root, we can destroy the curse. The first step is to recognize, uh, recognize it. Recognize that there has been sin committed. Look at your sins. Look at the sins of your ancestors. Write those things down. And confess it. I mean, say it out loud. Just say, we committed adultery. We lied, we stole, we whatever, whatever your family did, whatever you did, confess it. And when you confess that thing, I mean, some people are trapped into pornography and they may feel an emotion of pleasure when they bring up this sin. But when that, when that sin, you look at that sin in your mind and it's almost like a little mind game because the battle is in the mind and that's where it's causing the trouble. So you've got to go into your mind and unwind all that trouble, when that pleasure comes, look at the result of that sin after that's committed. You see the hurt, the guilt, the shame, maybe sickness, sexually transmitted diseases, or the the spirit of poverty that comes with that. When you see that result of it, then you look back at it in disgust and hatred. See, unless we hate it, we won't, we'll feel a little remorse if we get caught, but we won't repent. You gotta hate it. And I'm trying to teach you how to hate it. Amen? You got to not see the pleasure side of it, but play the film in your mind. Play it out and see the end result, the consequences that it brings, the broken relationships that it brings, the distrust in your life, 
the hell in your life that it brings. And then you can repent of it. Heartfelt repentance. Cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I, I don't want this as a part of my life anymore. Now you renounce it. And the word renounce means to disown it. That means I disown you. You no longer belong to me or part of me. Now, if there's been people that have hurt you, you may have been abused sexually, verbally. You may have been cheated. uh, All kinds of scenarios that people go through. You have to see these people in your mind as though you have the key and you've opened a jail cell and you've opened the door and you let them out one by one. You've got to see them walk out in your mind. You've got to see them leaving. You've got to let them go because they hold you captive. Watch them leave one by one and say, you're no longer a part of me. This hurt no longer belongs to me. And then you speak a blessing. You speak a blessing over your life and you give thanks to God. Remember the blessing meant to heap up all that is good and the goodness of God? Then you begin to replace all of that emptiness with good things, with God's word. And you you just declare and decree some things over your life. And I just believe that that will give you some victory. There are so many steps that we can take, but basically it's confess it, repent from it, and renounce it. Amen? And bless yourself. You're a blessing. Amen? God wants you to live in victory. He does not want this thing to be a stigma on you. He wants you free. Free in the spirit of your mind. Amen? He came to set the captives free. And I just, I just thank you for the opportunity of getting to minister to you today.